feel like today's Bible reading for me is a bit of a comedy. Because those of you who are... I've been doing some books, so... <laughs> so that for those of you who aren't normally here, we have this routine that when there's an exceptionally long and complicated and convoluted Bible verse, I get it. And I'm looking at this today going, there's something wrong, right? So today's Bible verse um, is Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, and 3 only. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. I don't mind that God. Sometimes he makes me angry, though. Like, I would have much preferred just to get up here and start preaching. And so God does that for us. He doesn't let us sit in our own self. He ensures through Holy Spirit that he will make a path for us to step in to the places that we need to be transparent and honest with each other and probably more importantly with ourselves. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for causing things to be on wrong channels or dead batteries. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week I just read scripture. I mean, it was a Sermon on the Mount, and it was Jesus, but I just read Scripture. So this week I thought I should give you two sermons instead of one. And so we're starting a, a conversation about the Sermon on the Mount, and we're doing a series. But as we step into that series, Jesus starts with the Beatitudes. And we've heard about the Beatitudes, and we've thought about the Beatitudes. But before we talk about this one Beatitude first we need to talk about the Beatitudes. And before we talk about the Beatitudes, we need to kind of come and take a look at what the sermon really is and what it means. And so Stanley Herrenhaus, who is a theologian, says this about this sermon. He says, this sermon isn't just about how to behave. It's about discovering the living God in the loving and the dying of Jesus and learning to reflect that love ourselves in the world that needs it so badly. He goes on to say, The sermon, therefore, is not a list of requirements, but rather a description of the life of people gathered by and around Jesus. Church, or our gathering, then forms the context for the ethic of who Jesus is showing us to be in this sermon. Oftentimes, when you jump into the Sermon on the Mount, it, it gets presented in a way to say, this is an unattainable thing. And it's put out to you to be unattainable so that you fall down on it and have to cry out to Jesus. Okay? Yes. But Jesus is not speaking this in aspirational terms. When Jesus preaches this sermon, he's not speaking of it as this. You should try your best to get here. 
or I want you to work towards this, or this is what I'm calling you out towards. You'll never get there, but this is what I'm calling you out towards. What Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God, those who I gather near me, they look and act and believe this way. If you were here last week and when we read through the Sermon on the Mount, you know there are certain things within this sermon that really pound up against us, that they're hard to take. I would dare say that even this first one, this first beatitude, is hard to take. So as we come into this series on the Sermon on the Mount, I I want us to, to get rid of the thought that this is only here to show me I can't reach it, and so I need Jesus. That's true. But I also want us to come into it knowing that Jesus is saying these things as if they are. Now that's done because Christ has done it. So as is the gospel, it is never either or. It is always both and. It holds those contradictions that we can't hold within our own flesh. That says you are holy and you are fallen. You are enemies, yet you are my children. You can never do this, yet you already have. So that's the whole sermon. And then we go to the Beatitudes. Now the interesting thing about the Beatitudes is there's eight, maybe nine of them, depending on how you read it and look at it. And the first one starts off with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the last one, or the eighth one says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a unique little device called an inclusio. It starts at the beginning and then it ends at the bottom. And what it does is it says everything that's in between has to do with the kingdom of heaven. Right? So when we read these Beatitudes, even though there are specific particular things that are granted to each one of these blessed people, It is also about the kingdom of God because Jesus brackets it and says, within all of these, I'm talking about what the kingdom looks like. This is what the kingdom looks like for us. Okay, so that's sermon number one and sermon number two. Now here's sermon number three. (laughs) As we go into this, too often... The characteristics of the Beatitudes, this is by Herrenhausen again, are turned into ideals that we must strive to attain. As ideals, they can become formulas for power rather than descriptions of the kind of people characterized by the new age brought to us in Christ. Thus, Jesus is not telling us that we should become poor in spirit or meek or peacemakers. He is simply saying that many who are called into the kingdom will find themselves built that way. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is poor in spirit? What does poor in spirit mean? We have to kind of grab hold of Luke chapter 6, where Luke, in his biography of Jesus, tells us about this sermon. And he breaks it out a little bit differently. In that part of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor. It doesn't say it in spirit. And so there's a sense that when we step into this beatitude, we have to hold 
both the physical, tangible world, and we also have to hold on to the spiritual world, so the things that we see and the things that are unseen. So right off the bat, Jesus starts off with the kingdom of heaven, and he says, blessed are the poor. Matthew adds in spirit. We don't know if Luke was not paying attention and didn't hear it. We don't know. But what we know is the word for poor is an economic word in both places, and it means poverty. And so what Jesus is doing right off the bat is he's saying that the kingdom of God doesn't look like the kingdom of man. That the kingdom of God looks nothing like the kingdom of man. Because poverty is not allowed in a kingdom. Poverty is shunned in a kingdom. Poverty is hidden in the margins in a kingdom. And what Jesus is saying is, blessed are the poor, those physically poor, those who are outcasts, those who do not have means to succeed in and of themselves. They are actually in the kingdom of heaven. They possess it. So there's a physical sense here that in our blessing, and we are all blessed that live here, some of us more than others. There's a place where we have to look at this and go, so does that mean only poor get into the kingdom of heaven? No, what he's saying, though, is in the world's eyes, poor people never get into the kingdom. In my kingdom, they receive it. It's not about what you bring physically, materially to me. That is a battle cry in our world today. That is a countercultural stance. It is not it is not an indictment on wealth. Listen, it is not an indictment on wealth. It's not saying wealth is evil. Later on he says the love of money is evil. But wealth is not evil. But what he's saying is your reliance on that does not enter you into the place where I'm at. So what it brings to us is an understanding that when I step into the world and I see abundance and poverty, I don't just seek out abundance. I also walk with those who are poor. I don't just try to sidle up to those who have means. I also sidle up to those who need my means so that I can walk with them where they are at. That I'm not called to wealth or poverty, but it is a realization that in the physical world that that is a disparity that exists. And so within that disparity, if I am in the kingdom of heaven, then I walk between those two, holding them in the tension that they are, recognizing that neither wealth nor poverty define that person. Now, we would like to say that the world doesn't operate that way anymore, but we know that it's true. We know that systemic injustice hits the poor more than it hits the wealthy. We know that hard times that they fought... Listen, lotto, cash-checking places, cash converters, those things, they're not evil in and of themselves, but they specifically target those who have a hope for attainment. And in that, they lose themselves in trying to reach what? Wealth. Why? Because we've set up wealth as the answer. If you have money, then you're powerful. And if you're powerful, then you can do what you want. And if you want to do what you want, then you are the king or queen of your kingdom. 
And Jesus, right off the bat, says, no, the poor, those without means, those that can't bring me anything, they're within the kingdom. Now, the beautiful thing is that the gospel is not an either-or. It's not saying this is only physical. It also says that it is spiritual. So it's good that Matthew adds poor in spirit because it allows us to step into that place where all of us actually are. We are all poor in spirit. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on this, says that poor in spirit is ultimately the purest repentance. I was talking to some folks yesterday about the fact that you have to be able to admit you're wrong in order to grow. You have to be able to admit that you're wrong in order to grow. If you can't, in your heart, say, I am wrong in this area. I have done something incorrect and I've broken. Let's use a theological term. I've sinned. Then you will not get on past that because you have no need to be saved from it if you can't recognize it. So if we believe that we never have to say we're sorry, and there are those who believe that, then they will not get to a place of humble repentance on God. That is not being poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, number one, is the ability to repent. It's the ability to recognize our brokenness and who we are and to be able to say, I need to say I'm sorry. Actually, I need forgiveness. I don't like the word sorry. See, sorry doesn't require anything of me and it doesn't require anything of you. Sorry is pretty easily thrown out. Sorry is a board game. Sorry. That's all right. No worries. Poor in spirit makes me say, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And it makes me own up to my wrongness. It claims it as the painful tearing apart of relationship that it is. But it doesn't leave that person we're asking forgiveness for out of the equation either. You see, because as Harahausen said, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, that ethic is found in community. And so when we talk about being poor in spirit, no one can be poor in spirit individually. In your particularness, you have things you need to ask forgiveness for. But we are never called individually to be poor in spirit. We are called corporately, within community, to be poor in spirit. And in being poor in spirit, we request forgiveness and we receive forgiveness. It puts the onus on the other person that we've damaged and hurt. It says to them, I'm going to own up where I have broken. Can you own grace and mercy? That's scary for us because we know in our own hearts we're very quick to judge and blame. And so poor in spirit doesn't just sit in the place of acknowledging my wrongness, it also sits in the place of being open and ready to forgive. It says I'm poor in spirit in that I don't have to be justified. I don't have to be right. And so when somebody comes to me broken, I have the ability to show compassion on them and lift them up and give them grace and mercy. So it's both and. 
It does have to do with means, but it has to do with our heart as well and where we stand. So theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is both positional and possessive. Positionally, it's this, that when someone is poor in spirit, they are in the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's probably because they're in the kingdom of heaven that they have the ability to be poor in spirit. So it's positional that I reside in this kingdom, that I am no longer in the kingdom of the world, but I am now in the kingdom of heaven. I am in God's kingdom. And that's God's rule, His ever-present, always-pursuing, steadfast-loving rule over all of creation. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's not some kingdom that comes in and sits down on the throne and says, I'm ruling over all of this. It's the one that says, I created and made this, and I know it better than anybody else, and I love everything that I've done within it, and I hate that sin has broken it, and I will pursue with love and love and love to bring it back into wholeness and completion. That's the kingdom we belong in that causes us to move into that place of being poor in spirit. So it's positional. That's where you reside. If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus has brought you in, you are in that place. If you are outside of that place, Jesus quickly is calling you, saying today is even the day for you to see that I am the one, the answer to your ills, the one that can bring you wholeness and completion. And in doing that, I will move you into my kingdom. but it's also a possession that we hold the kingdom of heaven. That it's something that we grasp onto. It's something that we have. It's not just the place that we are. It is what we have. And by having the kingdom, we have power. Now, it's not power of those who have might and wealth, but it is the power of a humble servant who died on the cross to save us. It's that type of power that says, I move myself out of the way. Philippians 2 tells us what poor in spirit is. That Christ, being the very image of God, gives it up, moves himself from being in heaven, in the throne room, to come to us, to save us, to become the form of a man, and not just a man, but to die on a cross. That's poor in spirit. No reason. To do it other than the fact that he loves us and wants us in his kingdom. And because he loves us and wants us in our kingdom, we now possess that kingdom. It is the thing that gives us strength. It is the thing that gets us up in the morning. It is the thing that gives us breath. It is the thing that gives us movement. It is the thing that we hold on to, knowing that we possess the kingdom of heaven. And in possessing the kingdom of heaven, we possess the power of the king. How glorious it is that what Jesus starts off when he's bringing this Beatitudes, which then many people say that the Beatitudes are the real sermon and then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount are just the commentary about the Beatitudes. Pretty interesting. Pretty short sermon. What we get is an opening of our heart to know what God has for us completely. We move to that place of being power. So the challenge for us is this. What does it look like for me to be poor? 
What does it look like for me not to hold on to material wealth as if it's something that I have to have that makes me who I am, but being generous and open-handed and free to give with whatever we have? What does it mean for us to be poor in spirit where we can move to a place of knowing I don't ever have to be justified. I don't have to be agreed with. I don't have to be the one that is right. That doesn't mean that we don't champion things that are right. That doesn't mean that we don't stand up for justice where justice is needed. But we also know that it doesn't rely on me, that it is not about me ultimately. And that I can be in that place in a humble stance knowing that I'm going to screw it up anyway, so I better be ready to ask for forgiveness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As we continue to move through the Sermon on the Mount, we are going to be hit over and over again with the both and of the gospel. That it is never an either or, but it is a both and that brings us to this place of understanding who he is and what Jesus has for us. Scripture doesn't do this. The Sermon on the Mount does not present to us a moral code or tell us live up to this. Nor does it set out a system or a doctrine and say, think like this and you will live well. Rather, the biblical way is to tell the story and in it invite us in. Live into this. This is what it looks like to be a human in a God-made, God-ruled world. This is what's involved in becoming a human being. We possess the kingdom when we are truly human. In being human, we become poor in spirit because Christ became human to be poor in spirit. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good, and all you do is good. We thank you for your love for us. Teach us to hold on to you as you lead us to poverty. So that we are in and can possess and because we're in and we do possess the kingdom of heaven we are yours in jesus name we pray amen would you stand up and sing